You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. And away we go. It's another edition of the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show. John, I know that it's been a while for us with the bye week and scheduling and rescheduling and COVID, but it's good to see your shining face this morning. Wow, we got seven games to go in this season, probably more when you're dealing with this version of the Kansas City Chiefs. How you doing? I'm, uh, I'm doing all right. Speaking in italic this morning. <laughs> a little inside joke. <laughs> it's a good way, good way to start the show. I do want to get into the latest news of the Chiefs. We'll do that on this show. We have some bye week takeaways for you. So usually we have a game to react to on this show. No game this week. So we will take a look at the first nine games of the Chiefs season. Share what we're thinking. Ron Kopp, fabulous writer for us. He will join us in the second segment to talk about five Chiefs in their contract years. We have questions entering Chiefs and Raiders week. It's Raider week. It seems like the rivalry has been revamped. We'll talk about that. And then, of course, the best Chiefs thing we heard all week. But let's get started with the Chiefs officially announcing that they are retaining both general manager Brett Veach and head coach Andy Reid. This was a story that we knew about dating back to September. The reported date that they have is through the 2025 season. So we think this is a six-year extension. That's from NFL Network. So usually a trustworthy source. John, when you heard that this was official, what was your immediate reaction? Well, I was just glad they got it done. Pretty clear to me that uh, this was something they put off until the bye week when they could get the contracts inked. So, uh, but the word leaked out in September. We already knew this was coming down. Uh, it's good to have it in uh, in paper on uh, on the dotted line. It seemed like lawyers just needed to cross the T's and dot the I's on this. It it seemed like in September terms were agreed upon. This is as no brainer of a move as you could possibly make from Andy Reid's standpoint. He basically turned the entire franchise around along with bringing Brett Veach, who by proxy, found Patrick Mahomes, called his shot, called him the greatest player he's ever seen. So far through three years, he's been by far the greatest player the NFL has ever seen on that pace. I mean, we talked about it, I think just last week, it was Tom Brady and Drew Brees are going back and forth for the touchdown pass record for their career. And Mahomes right now is about 75 over where they were at Mahomes' age, which is 25 and change a little bit. So right now, I think after the Super Bowl win, perfect time. I think Andy Reid probably waited to the bye week to get this done. He doesn't like to be any distraction for his team and (laughs) and their goals. So I think it it makes sense why it was announced uh, right now. Andy Reid did not talk about it on Monday during his press conference because it hadn't been announced yet. I tend to think that that was by design as well. Maybe we'll get a few answers from him on Wednesday. Other news with the Chiefs, there could be a potential COVID issue, a COVID scare. I don't want to call it an outbreak yet, but Cole Hardman had already been on the COVID list, either close contact or he might have gotten it. We're, We're unsure of that right now. Eric Fisher, Mitch Schwartz, and Martinez Rankin all added to the COVID list this week. Again, it doesn't necessarily mean they are COVID positive. They could just be in close contact. I believe we found out that that was indeed the case via NFL Network with Fisher and Schwartz. But the key for me will be Tuesday afternoon. You might be listening to this podcast and will know already. And if there are no further positive cases, no Mm -hmm. more additions to the list, I think that's key. You'll have to monitor it throughout the rest of the week, but it'll be a good start if Tuesday you're clear with no more additions. You know, it's frustrating how little information we can get about this. You know, the first question on everybody's mind is, 
you know, is the player positive or they just exposed with a close contact and teams are not wanting to tell us. And right. that's okay because there are circumstances where it might involve family members. And, you know, those are things that teams don't want to talk about and they shouldn't talk about, but it's frustrating for us because we're not getting a clear picture of what's going on and as it stands right now. Yeah. It could be a big deal or maybe not. And, and what's crazy about COVID is we don't really know enough about the disease and we see it in the regular news each and every day. And so you have a case like Chris Jones where he's back in a day and mm -hmm. there's just not enough information coming out to explain why that is and then why Anthony Sherman was stuck on the list for three weeks. It's just the world we're living in right now. And that's the most frustrating part because in a typical NFL year, you eventually get the data. Like there are some unsolved mysteries of the NFL eventually you probably figure out what happened. COVID is just not one of them. I don't think we're getting any information on what's going on anytime soon. Right. I agree. Yeah. And it's probably as it should be as frustrating right. as it is. We'll talk about the on field of those offensive linemen potentially being out for Sunday night football against the Raiders a little bit later in the show. But right now I want to look back by week takeaways. Each of us put on our thinking caps and thought back to the first half of the season for some grand takeaways of what is the proverbial first half. Yeah, the Chiefs are nine games in, so you have a little bit less on the second side of this. My first takeaway here, I just think that we were looking at the first half schedule of this year for the Chiefs and saying, okay, this is the most difficult part. And then we're going to get to the second half and it's going to be all sunshine and rainbows. This thing is easy. It's going to be as long as the Chiefs are in first and they're feeling good, they're going to coast their way to another Super Bowl. Lo and behold, you get to the second half and you have three division games, Las Vegas, Denver and L.A. to end the year. And granted, Denver and L.A. are not playing their best football I'd go as far to say as Los Angeles is playing better football. They just keep losing these one-score games, as has been the case since last year, really. Denver, all right, maybe you throw away. I'd look at it still as division game, but then you look at the other games. Tampa Bay and New Orleans, NFC powerhouses that we call probably the favorites to get to the NFC title game or among the favorites, at least to be fair. Miami has turned around their season completely. Mm -hmm. yeah. The offense has life with the switch to Tua, and the defense looks to be among the best in the league. Of course, you have Patrick Mahomes, but still, that is a very good defense. Uh, and you have to travel down to Miami, which has been a good place to play for the Chiefs. But you have to travel down to Miami to play that game. And then you host the Atlanta Falcons, who really had their playoffs start midseason. And this is a team who made a coaching change. They still have high hopes, and they were playing better football entering their bye week. So we'll see how the Falcons are playing when it comes to week 16. But... I looked at it, and I was guilty of this. I looked at it as a stretch in the beginning of the year. I said, if they can just get by this with you know, two losses, good to coast. Yeah, it'll be Drew Brees. Yeah, it'll be Tom Brady. But they should easily win the rest of their games. And I don't know now. I mean, I think the Chargers might be playing better football by the end. It seems like Justin Herbert is for real, and that's going to be an issue for the Chiefs for the uh, next 10, 20 years. I, I think he's actually a formidable quarterback as long as they figure out the rest of that team. Las Vegas is six and three. I know we got Andy Reid after the bye. And Denver's another division game. So a challenging schedule in the second half, John. Well, they're never, uh, they never play out quite the way you think they will. <laughs> I mean, we always go into these seasons thinking, oh, well, this is going to be the hard part and this is going to be the easy part. And, and it never works out quite that way. This is in a lot of ways par for the course, but I agree with you. Uh, you know, even a few games into the season, uh, we were still looking at this as, uh, an early part that was hard and a late part that was easy. And it's not quite like that. Uh, no. You know, I wrote about this last week and uh, the Chiefs actually have a, a somewhat more difficult than average uh, strength of schedule going into the end of the season. Any way you slice it, either by traditional one-loss records or waiting it for strength of opponents that these teams have played, um, but it's still uh, not easy by any uh, by any metric you want to use. We will see how the Chiefs fare in these next seven, starting with the Raiders on Sunday Night Football. John, your first takeaway of the first half has to do with Steve Spagnuolo and the defense. Yeah, he doesn't care about your linebacker statistics, not <laughs> at all. 
We have several quotes from Spagnolo in the last few weeks where he said he doesn't care about statistics. That's something he looks at at the end of the season. Sure. And he's more concerned about how effective his defense is. Can it keep points? Can it can they keep points off the scoreboard for the opponent? And the Chiefs have largely done a really good job with that. But meanwhile, uh, fans and pundits and that they're all going crazy about the Chiefs linebackers because of some PFF ratings or some statistics about the running game or something like that. But Steve Spagnolo doesn't care. He's only interested in the points that are on the scoreboard, and the Chiefs have figured out how to do that, even though they don't have linebackers at the second level of the defense that can be effective at stopping the run um, and having big-time pass coverage skills. Spagnuolo's figured out a way to make it work with these players that aren't necessarily the most athletic, rangy guys out there, and he deserves credit for that. And for the time being, I ain't worried about it. The Chiefs are the sixth-ranked defense in the NFL by uh, points allowed. I think uh, with a second-ranked offense, that's a team that's going to be contending for the Super Bowl this season. Yeah, I've noted that there are a lot of people complaining about the second level, and I think for good reason. Uh, I see it as more of a Brett Veach problem, meaning like Steve Spagnuolo is going to have to figure it out for the rest of the year. I don't think there's a ton of reinforcements coming where you have like a leak and you put a little bit of that gunk. I don't even know what you would call it. Like you have it in your toolbox, but you, you fill it for now. And then Brett Veach has to basically redo the whole second level in the offseason. We have some contract years to think about. Uh, Damian Wilson is on a contract year. Ron will talk more about that in the second segment. But I'm with you. And it actually fits right well into my point, I think, about the defense in point number three, our, our bi-week takeaways. History is repeating itself a little bit for me from last year. Just last year, we were in the middle of the season and we were worried that it was 2018 all over again. People were worried, is Frank Clark the player that we think he is? It's happening again. And I, I was asked about Frank Clark on the radio last week and people are concerned. And I just think back to last year, we didn't really know that he was dealing with a pinched nerve. Not to say that I want to assume injury, but I think... I know enough about Frank Clark and his push in the playoffs and just the way he carries himself and the pride he has. Same thing with a Tyron Matthew. I don't think Frank Clark is just playing poorly. I'm to that point. I, I think that he probably was a little bit banged up in the first half, and I'm hoping that this bye week can push him forward. And then I also think that people have forgotten the Chiefs defense didn't really click until that Monday night football game against the Chargers last year. And that was week 11. You know, that was, and then you had a bye mixed in there. And then the Chiefs defense really came into its own, I would say, with six, five weeks left to the season. And Spagnolo noted that to his credit. I mean, he said it's not going to be a thing where we just pick up right where we left off. You're, in a sense, restarting. So based upon that trajectory, I think it's a little bit of that Aaron Rodgers. Relax, R-E-L-A-X. I, I think the defense is fine. You're, you're fortunate because there's other teams around the league that don't have Patrick Mahomes and don't have time for the defense to, in a sense, figure it out. You have Mahomes. You have that luxury. You have the ultimate luxury. I think the Chiefs defense will be fine, and it's just a matter of getting into that groove that we saw toward the end of last year. Well, and it's again, it's a it. You're looking at individual players when you're talking about Frank Clark or Anthony Hitchens, or these other players that um, fans and and hosts, sports talk hosts, want to look at and say they're just not you know performing at the level they should be. They're not pulling their weight for the salaries they command. Okay, that's fine. It, those things are not untrue, but what what matters is how the team performs on the field. And what has been two games this season where they've given up more than 20 points? That's a good defense. Um, you know, they it made for a difficult win against the Panthers and, of course, a loss against the Raiders the last time. They're going to have to clean that up when they go to Las Vegas on Sunday night. But the defense is largely performing just as we hoped it would to be a top 10 unit this year. Um, so I, I, I can't get myself too worked up about it. All right, we are through three points. We have two to go. What is your second bye week takeaway, John? I think that Patrick Mahomes has very quietly returned to his 2018 form. 
Um, you know, in 2018, when he threw for more than 5,000 yards and 50 touchdowns, we all know about that statistic. Uh, everybody predicted he would have a re regression in uh, 2019, and he did. He threw for 1,000 fewer yards, half as many touchdowns, and everybody said, well, we told you. There's going to right. be a statistical regression this year because that's what tends to happen. That's just a fact. And this year he's on pace. Uh, I did the I did did, this, did the ciphering on this this morning. Where's my Where's my calculator? He's on pace for 4,800 yards and 44 touchdowns this season. Not quite the pace of 2018, right? But it's important to know that this is uh, with more wins so far this season and only one interception. So it demonstrates that Mahomes is learning how to dink and dunk it when it's necessary to take <laughs> it, take what the defense gives him, and also have the ability to make those big plays. And that's what the Chiefs have always wanted with Mahomes. He he went for the big play all the time in 2018, largely because he had to, and put up those big numbers. Last season, they focused on just getting the, the wins, getting those W's in the column, and now they're getting back to what they want it to be, which is to have a quality NFL pocket passer who right. knows how to read defenses and play in the game, but also have the ability to make those big plays. Man, it's going to be awesome to watch this kid over the course of his career. Yeah, and you go right into my takeaway, and I have like a bonus surprise takeaway to watch. So, uh oh, here uh, yeah, we go. That's a that's a pro tease for for you radio people out there. Um, Mahomes is the MVP right now. Uh, he's the odds-on favorite again. Uh, he has a combined 27 touchdowns to the one interception. Russ Wilson, who was in the lead for a lot of the year, and people said was running away with the award. He has 29 touchdowns, but he's also thrown 10 picks. And he's actually in a similar scenario that Mahomes was in 2018, where his defense is very, very bad. And so he's having to try to step up and cook and have some of that Mahomes or what would be Wilson magic. And you're getting a lot of force passes and fourth downs and third downs where he's needing to pick up a lot of yardage in order for the Seahawks to stay in the game. And he's throwing interceptions and he doesn't have his running back right now. I think it's hurting him. So these guys, I think will be duking it out for the rest of the year. It'll be interesting, but in my opinion, and I agree with you, John, we are sort of saying the same thing here. I think Mahomes is going to win the MVP. I really think he'll he'll get back to that. Uh, there is a series of games here where he could perform so well. And if the trend continues that we've seen now these past few game weeks, the Chiefs were able to play games. He's going to pull further and further away from Wilson. At this rate, it doesn't seem like it'll be a race when it gets down to the final two or three weeks. We'll see if Wilson can kind of turn it around here. He's been in quite the rut. So you're right. I mean, you can't deny the 27 touchdowns and just the one interception. And here's my bonus takeaway to watch. Travis Kelsey can make a case in the second half if he continues his production at this rate for offensive player of the year. Yeah, It's crazy to say that, especially from a tight end position, but he's number three in receiving yards heading into the bye. That's among wide receivers. He was first in first downs. Uh, he's scoring touchdowns. He's playing the best football of his career. And actually, I'll, he'll have to continue his production and maybe even slightly better. But what I'm saying is the fact that we're even able to discuss Kelsey as potentially being the offensive player of the year in the NFL as a tight end. To me, this is monumental in the sense that I think when Chiefs fans watched Tony, and I don't blame them here, you're like, it's never going to get any better than this at the tight end position. There's no, it's an, it's impossible. There's no way. And for him to have to deal with that, like Mahomes, in a sense had it easy. It's like, Oh, 50 years. They didn't have even a decent quarterback <laughs> chump change, man. This is going to be great. Kelsey walks in and he has, I have to live up to that. And he is, and he is probably going to surpass Tony by the end of this. And that to me is just remarkable. Good luck to tight end number three, whoever that may be. Once Travis Kelsey finally calls it quits. And, you know, Kelsey has done all this, as you noted, uh, he's number three, including wide receivers in the NFL. Yeah. He's done all this, and he's also been more of a blocker this year. Right. Uh, you know, for several games, we didn't have Anthony Sherman. 
uh, Travis Kelsey and the other tight ends were taking up that slack that uh, Sherman was uh, because Sherman was missing. And, you know, we don't we, we act like Sherman doesn't have any effect on the offense because he only plays, you know, 15, 20 percent of the snaps. But he's an important blocker in that offense. And Kelsey was picking up that slack and still on pace to have another incredible thousand yard season and, you know, all the records it's, it's it, the guy is truly incredible. That is our five by week takeaways. As we go to the second half of the chief season, when we come back, we'll welcome on Ron Kopp, who will check in on some contract years for the Chiefs. Stay with us on the Arrowhead pride editors show. Back here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show, Pete Sweeney, John Dixon. We're pleased to be joined by one of our fantastic writers at ArrowheadPride.com, Ron Kopp. Ron, welcome back to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Fresh off a of bye week, ready for Raider week. <laughs> right, we got a little bit of more juice in Raider week. We'll talk about that in the next segment. But right now, we're doing a midseason check-in. It's an article you wrote for OurHeadPride.com that we're posting on Tuesday. Five Chiefs in a contract year. Perfect time to check in on them. And we'll start with Dirty Dan Sorensen. What have you seen in the first half from Dirty Dan? Well, first, I just want to note uh, the fan reaction to our uh, MVP <laughs> article that I uh, put together over the bye week. Um, we put Chris Jones, our defensive MVP, but uh, I heard from a lot of fans, uh, comments, and you know all the social media posts, I kind of looked, and uh, a lot of people said Dirty Dan should have been the defensive MVP. And, you know, I, I guess I get kind of what they're saying. He does stand out. I mean, there's a reason, and I, I will say, uh, shout out to Tom Childs. Uh, he was the one who voted for uh, him for defensive MVP <laughs> from the staff. Um, but I will say there's a reason, uh, you know, he kind of stands out. It's because he plays uh, so much. He's the fourth highest snap getter on the entire uh, defense. And he actually has the most run stops on the entire team as well. Um, so there's a reason he stands out. The, uh, you know, the Chiefs love that three safety look they do where Matthew turns into the slot cornerback and yep. uh, Swanson comes in as a safety. Um, so, yeah, and, and you know, uh, he, he does play well and run defense. Um, you know, his faults come in pass coverage. Um, you know, he, he can get picked on. Uh, he has gotten picked on a few times. Like in the Raiders game, Waller was picking on him a couple times. McCaffrey got him a couple times. I mean, those those players are really good. Um, but he has played really well against the run. And I, and, and he ha- and I get why people are kind of saying he's one of the better defensive players this year in the Chiefs. Yeah, I would tend to agree. And I, I think that Dan is the type of guy that is not – going to be a grass is always greener side for a little bit more money. I think he'll take whatever the chiefs are willing to give him. And he's been such a important player, not only as you were saying with the defense, but on special teams, he still, he still plays special teams. I mean, there's so much value there and I get that he, he does occasionally get picked on, but he also makes big plays. I mean, you could make a case that he made one of the bigger plays of the playoffs last year on that, fake punt that he stopped in Houston or that that kind of turned the whole game around. So actually two big plays in that game and special yeah, teams. Right. Yeah, and right. so I I just think it's too much value for whatever lower tier salary you're going to pay him. So I think he's probably be back next year, don't you think, John? I would think so. Uh and I and I agree with you that uh he might be a candidate to take a reduced salary next year. He's at the end of his career anyway you slice it. He's not going to be playing more than a couple more years in the NFL. Uh, But I think he'll want to stay with the Chiefs because they've given him this opportunity. You know, they've stuck with him over a long period of time, sometimes paying him a lot more money than maybe he deserved because it's only been since Steve Spagnuolo's been here that they've really figured out the right way to use him on defense. So uh, I think he will recognize that and want to stay with the team for the rest of his career. Right, moving from the defensive side to the offensive side, briefly here, Sammy Watkins, everyone's favorite topic in Kansas City. <laughs> yeah, and I think uh, when he played the first four games and he got injured in the fifth game, uh, I think it was pretty noticeable how important he is to the offense, even if he wasn't putting up the crazy numbers uh, that, you know, maybe, you know, like last year, week one against Jacksonville. He wasn't putting right. up those numbers. Um, but he, he, you could tell he was important to the offense. And you could even tell in the Raiders game, they kind of stopped scoring after he went out. Uh, you know, they only got that last touchdown kind of towards the end uh, after Sammy went out, I believe, in the second quarter. Yeah. Um, so Sammy, Sammy proves his importance to the offense. And if he comes back, uh, we'll see, you know, what happens this week. If he's back at practice, hopefully we'll see. 
Um, if he comes back after the bye week and plays, uh, you know, plays moderately well throughout the regular season, but let's just say he gets to the postseason, plays like he does, you know, the past couple postseasons, that's all that matters. And that's all that matter that should matter for the Chiefs. If he can repeat the postseason performance he's done the past two times, they've went, you know, just been a clutch player, made big plays and big times. That's all that really matters. And if he can do that again, come back healthy and play like that, there's there's all the reason to try to get him back on a, a similar deal like he had this year, an incentive-laced deal. You guys might be surprised by this, but I have no idea what Sammy Watkins is thinking, and I don't think anybody does. <laughs> this is not a player that I think you're going to necessarily be able to bring back just because you want to. I think the situation is going to have to be right, and he's going to have to want to take less money. The chief will probably be among the teams that would give him the least money in the league for his services. So it just depends on what he wants for a period. All Ash offseason, it sounded like he wanted to be the guy. Then things sort of changed and said he wants the culture fit. So we don't really know. I think for the right price, you welcome Sammy back, but he's going to have to take significantly less money than he would maybe at another team where he could be the number one or without a doubt, number two option. The Chiefs have several options before him right now, including the running back room. Yeah, and I would also note that I'm not sure that Sammy really knows what he's thinking most of the time. And that's not and that's not a slam on Sammy at all because uh, you know, I think he's a very smart guy and yeah. he's he's grown a lot since he's come to the Chiefs. He understands his place in the world a lot better, certainly his place in the Chiefs and in the NFL better than he did when he first got here. He's just a guy that is always thinking and always considering and sometimes his feelings about how things are going to go are going to change. We've seen that, you know, going into the Super Bowl last year, there was all this talk about how he wanted to be the starter. And he gave that interview where that seemed to be the impression. And then uh, by the time that it was, uh, it was important for him to decide what he was going to do to stay with the chiefs, he took a different tack. Right. So I, I don't think it's unusual that we don't know what he's thinking because sometimes I'm not sure that Sammy knows exactly what his mind is at a given moment. Um, and that if he does, it could change. And odd name to mention with Watkins is going to be Alex Okafor. I think he's just going to have to say, take a similar type of deal. If he wants to stay with the chiefs where the chiefs rated to cut Okafor and, and maybe they should have, but they ended up keeping him for a lower rate. And we'll see if Watkins wants to play ball in that fashion. And if he doesn't, he probably uh, will be moved on from in Kansas city. Go back to defense, Ron Tano Passanio. How's he doing? Well, K-Pass is, is playing. He's one of the more reliable players on the defense. He's actually played the third most snaps on the team. And actually a good stat from Football Outsiders. Uh, he's played 81% of the team's defensive snaps, which is actually the ninth highest percentage of any defensive lineman in the entire NFL. So he's relied on as much as any defensive lineman in the league. Um, and he's been durable. He's, he's played well against the run. But the problem is, you know, you have to be consistently getting after the pass, the, right. you know, the quarterback in, in uh, the NFL, especially in, mod in the modern NFL. And he really doesn't, honestly. He doesn't consistently beat his man one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, you know, like you see Jones. Jones just tears through a guy, uh, you know, in a half a second sometimes. You never see K-Pass really do that. Right. Um, that's really important. And, uh, you know, he still has a chance to prove it down the stretch of this year uh, if he can – uh, you know, because he did show some stretches uh, in the postseason. I believe he had a few sacks in the postseason last year. Right. Um, that, and he did look pretty good, but um, that's really important. You can be good against the run, but if you can't consistently get after the pass, uh, the quarterback, that's going to be really important when it comes down to contract negotiation. I feel like when guys are in their contract year, especially pass rushers, it, there just seems like there's a little more clarity. Either he's worth paying the money or not. Where Passanio, as you mentioned in this article, is right in the middle, maybe slightly above average. To me, he seems like a prime candidate for a one-year deal where he has to prove it again, whether that be with the Chiefs or somebody else. I don't think right now he's going to want to sign a three- or four-year deal when he didn't necessarily play his best football. Not that he played poorly, but you got to try to milk this thing. I, If I'm his agent, I, I'd say, let's work out on the offseason. Let's continue to get better. Let's sign a one-year contract with your current team. If he wants to stay in Kansas City or go elsewhere, sign a one-year deal, and then you make your money maybe in 2022. Yeah, and I and I think it is important to understand, though, like I, 
the the fact that he has had the opportunity to right. do so this year, right? And, and he's had a lot of chances to look to to get his sacks, and he's only had one total, um, which is pretty significant. So there is a chance, you know, he could turn it around, get some, you know, sacks late in the season that you know maybe he, uh, you know a team does want to offer him that big deal. But I agree with you. Yeah, I think he is in uh, the place where maybe it's important for him. He gets a one year deal and tries to do this again next year. Or, hey, maybe the Chiefs want to try to invest in someone else as a starting defensive end opposite Frank Clark going into next year. We'll see. All right. Want to move back to the offensive side of the football, a little offensive line talk. Austin Ryder, the on-again, off-again center for the Chiefs in 2020. Yeah, and I think that's important to note. Um, I think the AP Lab noted it, and I and and I it made me think about it uh, a lot. Uh, the fact that they are swapping Ryder and Kilgore kind of tells you that you know it's it's they are not confident in what's going on at center right now, um, and right. they're just trying to figure it out, ca- trying to kind of patch it up. You know, who knows? Maybe they're going game to game, matchup by matchup, seeing hey, who, which one's better uh, for this particular matchup? Because um, Ryder did come back against Carolina. Um, but I just think it's important to to note that Ryder was supposedly uh, benched because of knee soreness. That's what Andy Reid was saying. But he was active all three games. He didn't start, and he played special teams all three games. So, you know, right. if you really want to give him a rest, and that's the, the issue, um, you probably wouldn't be playing him at all. So, yeah, we'll see. And when it comes to his contract, you know, going to next, uh, you know, it ends this year. You know, I, I can't imagine Kilgore or Ryder are back next year uh, unless one of them really anchors down that spot for the rest of the postseason run. Um, I think the Chiefs might want to invest uh, somewhere else and, you know, uh, maybe uh, free agency or the draft. I know Cesar Ruiz, the center from Michigan, got drafted, I think, two or three picks right before the Chiefs right. this year, and that could have been a possible solution. So they could be thinking that route, but it's hard to imagine uh, with the way, you know, they've been swapping it out that they like either of them uh, going into next year. Yeah, I look at Ryder, and I'm just curious as to how the Chiefs feel about him. You're right about when Andy Reid says he has a tender knee. A tender knee is not going to keep you out of a football game. That was, to me, an excuse to say, let's try and see what Kilgore can show here. I actually thought Kilgore earned the role. Apparently, the Chiefs wanted to see Ryder once again. It'll be really interesting to see who comes out of the bye week. What I find about Kansas City and their philosophy when it comes to centers, though, I mean, we saw Rodney Hudson here. We saw Mitch Morse here. And the Chiefs don't seem like they want to pay a center position. Now, maybe that's different if the guy can perform well and be the guy around Patrick Mahomes' age where you get a guy like a Ruiz who's in his early 20s and maybe they pay somebody like that. But it doesn't seem like the investment is at center for Veach and the Chiefs. And I wonder if that impacts Ryder in a good way if he wants to stay in Kansas City because he's not going to be that expensive, right? You know what I mean? Same thing I feel with Kilgore, who was just available. And so that plays into it too, team philosophy and not really wanting to spend there. Yeah, and that and that's a good point because I do think, you know, if one of them does anchor down the center position for sure. uh, other Super Bowl run, uh, why not just patch that position up with a, a possibly pretty cheap, uh, solution when you have all this other expense, you probably have to worry about, uh, you know, with the the cap room that the Chiefs have with all the stars they have. Um, it's, that's probably a position you can get away with a, a cheap solution if you want to. But I like your Mitch Morse Rodney Hudson uh, point because I do. I, I that's kind of why I wanted them to draft Ruiz last year. I, I, right. I like the idea of just getting, you know, a, a guy that is a, a higher draft pick, a second or a first round pick. You know, he's going to be a good player. And, uh, you know, if you want to pay him, you don't want to pay him that either way, you're getting four or five years of good production out of him. The Chiefs so. were reportedly interested in Ruiz for good reason. John, you had a point on this? Yeah, I, I, I agree with both of you about uh, the, the history on this with letting uh, Rodney Hudson and uh, Mitch Morris walk. And and I think you're right, Ron, that the, this is, seems to be what the Chiefs would prefer to do at center is to get a young guy and get some production out of him. But, you know, they could be getting that out of Allegretti next year. They could decide to put Allegretti in there at center next year and go a different direction at guard, depending on what happens with Duvernay, Tardif, et cetera. There's a lot of unsettled issues on the offensive line. But they it's not like they don't have a young guy that they could put in there at center next year. I think that'll be interesting to see uh, how the Chiefs choose to do that, especially now that Allegretti's getting some time on the field. 
Also need to see how Osemele responds. I mean, yes. he, he lost both knees, so you wonder about that. But if he can recover again, and because he was playing some good football before he, yeah, he got was. injured. All right, let's wrap it up, Ron. Damien Wilson, last guy we're looking at. Yeah, so Damien Wilson's actually been playing, uh, I'd say, some pretty good football this year. I know the linebacking core just as a, as a group kind of gets some flack, and they deserve it for sure. I think Hitchens <laughs> is playing well, too. So it's kind of interesting how that works. You know, I think Wilson and Hitchens have both been playing pretty good football. It's just, you know, Wilson against the pass, I guess, is the main reason. But against the run, he is the, second, the team's second-leading tackler for a reason. He's actually tied for first in run stops with Sorensen. And he hasn't, he's only missed one missed, uh, missed tackle this year, according to PFF. That's pretty impressive for how many, uh, how many snaps he plays. Um, but the, the whole thing with Wilson in terms of re-signing him is rookie linebacker Willie Gay is right there and seems like a direct replacement to what Wilson is doing right now. Right. When you're talking about the, the two linebacker sets where Hitchens and Wilson are on the field together, Gay should be able to do that by next year. And if not, you know, something's up. So... Uh, you know, I, I think Hitchens and Gay are the duo moving forward, and then they can, you know, patch up the Sam linebacker position with, you know, a younger guy. Or, you know, there's no reason to really re-sign Wilson, in my opinion. And, no. You know, and there's always the last stretch of the season. That's why we got these last 10 games or so. <laughs> um, but, yeah, and I, and I also note at the end of the article, I think it's important. You know, he was a Super Bowl uh, champion. You know, I, I think he could get a little bit of a, uh, you know, with the, you know, uh, he could get a little bit of a contract out there uh, from a team that just sees, you know, he played well on the right. stage, you know, potentially if they go again. So And Wilson flashes on tape. He's a guy that, to me, when you talk about investments, I don't think the Chiefs are going to want to invest in this position. When you spend as much money as they are at defensive tackle and tight end and quarterback, so on and so forth, you got to cut money somewhere. And I think there are younger replacements who could do an ample job replacing Wilson. I really like Wilson, but I just, you're right. I don't think they're going to make the investment there with him. And it's it's tough, but I, I just don't think he's played well enough in Kansas City to merit giving him another opportunity for the money he's going to make. I do want to note something about these contract years because for as much praise as we we give Brett Feach, right? Brett Feach does a fantastic job. This is a point to watch because I think mistakes were made this past offseason when you look at how Kendall Fuller and Emmanuel Agba are playing. Not necessarily with Fuller because that money, it felt like was too much. I believe it was $10 million a year for all the contracts the Chiefs had to sign. Really tough to bring Fuller back because of these sure. younger players. Agba was a guy, I think it was a two-year deal for $15 million, and he is playing out of his mind in Miami. We talked about Miami a little bit earlier, John, in the schedule segment. So these will be points to watch. You don't want to let a guy like Agba go again. And so there's going to be one of these guys that go to another team and performs really well. You hope that you keep the ones that are going to perform well. I wish we would have known, and I'm sure Brett Veach wishes he would have known, that Agba would have been able to sustain this instead of maybe bringing back Alex Okafor and trying to squeeze that uh, into here. Again, things go into it. Maybe Agba liked Miami a little bit more. Maybe there was offers. We don't know the exact details on that, but this is why contract years are so important. Uh, John, before we let Ron go, turn it over to you for any any further points. Well, I agree with you about Ogba, but, you know, this is one of those things that you see all the time. Uh, you know, Ogba missed some time last year. Right. We didn't really know what he was capable of doing for the Chiefs for that reason. And you just never know how these things are going to play out when a player goes to another team. Um, you know, sometimes they're in a situation that happens to be better for them. Maybe they click with a coach better than they did at the previous stop. And it has nothing to do with good coaching or bad coaching. Sometimes players just click with a particular guy and the two of them, you know, have a symbiosis that works. And maybe that just wasn't happening for Ogba, but it is in Miami. So I don't let myself get too worked up about that kind of thing because you just really never know how it's going to play out. And with Veach's, uh, you know, recent draft history, I'd say, uh, I'd say it's, it's it, there's reason to feel pretty confident that, you know, if, if we if we don't work with free agency, let's just work through the draft, get some good young players, yeah. plug them in there. And, you know, just this rookie class in general, especially on the defensive side, is pretty good indication that uh, Veach and the coaching staff know what they're doing and can get the best out of young drafted players. Yeah, too. absolutely. That is the voice of Ron Kopp. You can check out his midseason check-in at arrowheadpride.com on Tuesday. Please leave a comment. We'd love to hear your thoughts on Ron's thoughts. Ron, thank you for joining us. Appreciate it. Back next on the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show with a preview, our questions heading into Raider Week. Stay with us. 
Back here on the Arrowhead Pride Editors Show, we turn the page now to Sunday Night Football, the AFC West battle between your Kansas City Chiefs and the Las Vegas Raiders. Their new touchdown call, I don't know if you heard this, John, from Brent Musburger, is jackpot uh, <laughs> when they score. So, Of course it is. There you go. Uh, hopefully not too many jackpots on Sunday want to get into this game. So I'll start with one question. We'll go to John for a question, so on and so forth, similar to our takeaways. And we got to start with this, right? This is what everyone in Kansas city is talking about. Did a bus driver restart this historic rivalry? And what I mean is after the Raiders won week five over the Kansas city chiefs, a 40 to 32 win at Arrowhead stadium reportedly, the Raiders decided to do a victory lap around Arrowhead Stadium, which is a high school move. Let's call it what it is. Let's take our bias out of this. I, if the Chiefs did this, I would be saying the same thing. They wouldn't, but I would be saying the same thing. This was a high school move. Andy Reid actually mentioned it in his press conference, which is extremely rare. I mean, he was asked directly about it, but listen to his response here. Well, they, they listen, they won the game, so they, they can do anything they, they want to do. Um, uh, they end up winning the game. That's not our style, but we'll we'll get ourselves back, ready to play, and that's where we're at. Reed doesn't say anything like this. Him saying that's not our style is as trash talk as he's going to get. So <laughs> you could bet that this will be on the Chiefs proverbial bulletin board heading into Sunday night. Here was John Gruden asked about Busgate. Hey, John. Uh, today, Andy Reid mentioned a couple times the uh, victory lap you guys took in KC in the, in the first game. What exactly was the victory lap, and uh, is that something that uh, you think about this week as far as bulletin board material or anything like that? Not really. I mean, you could find a smart Alec bus driver in Kansas City who made some snide comments when we got on the bus. Maybe that's why we drove around the stadiums to tick him off. You know, this is ridiculous. Next question. I mean, I love it. I can't, I can't tell you. I, I love it. I think this type of thing should be promoted in the NFL. I know head coaches hate it, but there's some WWE to this Raiders chiefs matchup now. And you know, you know, on Sunday night football, they will be talking about what happened in the Raiders bus. You know, I, I, the Raiders have been thin skinned for so long. I, I would never have guessed I was going to bring this up on the pod today, but Back in the the '90s, in the press box, my seats were usually right behind the visiting team's seats, and um, we had to be very careful when we played the Raiders because if you said anything about the Raiders, they would go complain to PR, and somebody would come over to you and say, "You know, you shouldn't be bad mouthing the the other team while you're sitting here." <laughs> it's like, well, what are you talking about? We're just having conversations here, right. and there were a couple of times they accused us of saying things that we had not said. So, uh, yeah, I, I think the Raiders are a little thin-skinned about some of these things. Um, what do you think is going to happen when you get on a bus in another city? Like, the, the driver's going to be one of your fans? Well, I wonder <laughs> what the driver said. I think yeah. he must have just probably been joking about them not winning the game or something. They end up coming away with the win, and it it is wild. I'm surprised that Gruden did it. I think it was one of these things where he never thought it would get to the Chiefs, and you know now it's <laughs> become a storyline because him, <laughs> Gruden and Andy Reid are, are close friends when they're not competing on game week against each other. They, they spent time together for three well, years in green Bay in the nineties when they were both coming up. They were close friends. We don't know about now, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if Reed has asked about it on Wednesday. Now that probably like the casual news reporters have gathered that this is going on. I, I, I don't think this is the last we've heard of, of bus game. <laughs> Uh, John, not. let's go to the on the field portion of this question segment. What is your first question entering? This yeah, game? I'm really worried about Derek Carr in this game. We've 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 grown used to the idea that Derek Carr plays badly against the Chiefs, but he really had a great game uh, in the first matchup this season. Here's a here's a stat for you. This season, the Chiefs have allowed a passer rating for opposing quarterbacks of 81.4. That's the average over nine games. In that first game, Carr was 126.7, and that's a big factor. I mean, right. you can you can uh, passer rating is a flawed stat. We we're going to agree about that, but it does correlate very well to success for a team in a game. And when you have a quarterback that can come in and put up that kind of a passer rating, it's tough to beat a team with that quarterback. 
And somehow the Chiefs, after years of holding Derek Carr down, weren't able to do it right. in the previous matchup this, this uh, season. So I think it's going to be critical uh, to figure out a way to keep him down in Las Vegas. Yeah, I, I can take your point. It's hard for me to say out loud that I'm worried about Derek Carr. But what I will say is this. He seems to have regained his confidence in throwing yeah. the football down the field. And that's when he is his best. I mean, you talk about when the Raiders were good the last time for that little blip in 2016. I mean, Carr was among the MVP candidates yep. that year. And he was playing really, really strong football. And we thought that Carr had turned the page. And so we, we've seen this a little bit before. My key, and it actually leads me into my next question here, is can the Chiefs curb the Raiders running backs on early downs? The Raiders and Chiefs uh, played this game week five, and we saw Josh Jacobs and Devontae Booker really have some success running for four and six and seven yards on first and second down. And that really opened things up, I think, for Derek Carr, because then you have the Chiefs shifting and, and it makes one-on-one -on -one situations and things like that. And that's when you see a 59-yard touchdown pass to a Nelson Aguilar uh, down down the field. And that's when you see uh, the Raiders being able to isolate some of the Chiefs' weaker parts uh, of their secondary. And I look at Jacob's numbers in that game. He had 77 yards and two touchdowns. Booker had 62 yards. But in the games following, rather than it just being Jacob's, who is still the lead back, Booker has played better and better football as they go along here. They're one of these teams now, as we've talked about what the Chiefs want to do with Clyde and Le'Veon Bell. Uh, they're having this successful one-two punch, and I think curbing that for the Chiefs will be key. Your Derek Nottys, uh, your Chris Jones, Anthony Hitchens, um, making sure that those gaps are shored up. I think if you stop the Raiders' run early on, that might give you a better advantage against Derek Carr. I mean, we still are in the same season where film got out, where New England Patriots head coach Bill Belichick was basically daring Derek Carr to throw to the checkdowns, and he was locking up the checkdowns and making sure that he made mistakes down the field. So I don't think we can fully trust that he's this great downfield passer yet. I think you're still wanting him to do that. But again, you're going to want to put yourself in better situations. And I think by stopping the run, the Chiefs will be able to do that. Right. That's the, that's exactly what the Chiefs have been talking about all this time while the uh, the opposing teams have been uh, selling out, holding off the deep pass. Right. You know, then the Chiefs need to be able to run the ball, which they haven't always been able to do. And that's one thing that the Raiders did effectively when we played early in the season uh, is that they were able to run the ball when the Chiefs are trying to hold them back deep. So uh, a lot to watch in this game on Sunday night. Question number four, John, about the Chiefs offensive line. Yeah, I'm not sure who they're going to be <laughs> with all these players on the COVID list. I mean, sure. we've had enough trouble on the offensive line this year. And then to put three offensive linemen, two of them starters, on the COVID list in a single day, uh, that's a, a bad look. Right now, here are the Chiefs' offensive linemen on the active roster. Andrew Riley, Austin Ryder, Nick Allegretti, Mike Remmers, uh, Daniel Kilgore, and Yasir Durant. <laughs> now... Um, that's six guys and two of them are backups. So unless we get some of these players that went on the COVID yesterday, the COVID list yesterday, unless Eric Fisher's back, um, we're going to have to put a rookie probably, uh, at one of the tackle positions. Um, I'm going to assume that Mike Remmers will play in place of Mitchell Schwartz as he has been the last three weeks. And that means we're putting Yasir Durant at the left tackle spot. <laughs> That's a big job for an undrafted rookie. Oh, man. Uh, but wait, that, wait, do you hear that, this, John? Bloop, bloop. That's me calling LDT and Lucas Yang <laughs> and seeing if they want to opt in. To this. No, you can't do that, unfortunately. <laughs> no, you can't, I'm afraid. So it's going to be a problem uh, if these guys don't... Uh, if these guys don't have a way to get back off the COVID list before Sunday. Uh, and, you know, it may be that that's exactly what's going to happen. We just don't know at this right. point. But if they don't, uh, the Chiefs are going to be going in really thin at the offensive line. They don't have another tackle on the practice squad. they got a couple of guards in there. But um, it, this could be ugly. Going to reiterate what I said a little bit earlier. You hope this is more like the Chris Jones close contact than yeah. whatever Anthony Sherman went through. Maybe McCole Hardman is going through as as they have been on the list a little bit longer. We will see. We have no way to know at this point. So we're hoping that 
they can be activated by Sunday. We just saw Ben Roethlisberger last week. He missed all of the on-field in-person workouts, but was able to return for the game. Uh, we'll see what happens with the Chiefs here. Uh, players we think will be back, and this is my final question heading into this game. What will Jarius Sneed and Sammy Watkins' returns mean for the Chiefs? These are two key players on both sides of the football. I feel very strongly about what these players mean to their units. I understand Sammy Watkins doesn't have the production always. That's the age-old question of how much he should be making, yada, yada. The Chiefs' offense is better when he's on the football field. And Ron just nailed it when they didn't score another touchdown after Watkins left the game against the Raiders. So good to see him back against the Raiders. I've talked about Sneed, the need for Sneed, the need for Sneed's speed. He is the fastest secondary player on that team. This is a new NFL where speed kills, and it'll be good to have him back. He was practicing last week. Reed said they will try it this week. This is classic Chiefs. I think they activate him, and he's good to go against the Raiders on Sunday, and I think he'll be a welcomed addition or re-addition back to this lineup. I'm all in on having Snead back in there. Uh, he really impressed everybody uh, in those early games this season while Bashad Breland was out. And uh, I'm looking forward to having him back on the field this weekend. Last thing, our favorite part of the editor show, the best Chiefs thing we heard all week. I want to go back to September 26th. Travis Kelsey at the podium. It's a Friday. I'm trying to wrap up. I, I want to get out of work. And he comes out with this. Well, you know, it's uh, there's not a week th that goes by where Coach... Coach Reed isn't going to get on you, man. He's, he, that's, his, that's his job, you know? Sometimes you just got to be like, take it easy, roller coaster tycoon. You know what I mean? At the time, we were like, what, what is he saying? What, why is he saying that? What, <laughs> what just happened there? As it turned out, we found out uh, this week on Tuesday, it is Tuesday, Jimmy Fallon tonight challenged NFL players to fit certain phrases into regular press conferences. They came out with a two and a half minute video, uh, which you can now watch. That's on arrowheadpride.com. So it took two months, but we finally know that Jimmy Fallon basically dared Travis Kelsey, who is an entertainer at heart, to say, uh, take it easy, roller coaster tycoon. And John, he did. He, he, he definitely did. <laughs> oh, man. Is there anything he won't do for, for a laugh? I mean, the guy is great. I love Travis Kelsey. And I love Jimmy Fallon, too, for what it's worth. Yes. A fan. I'm a fan. Uh, Kelsey is as, as funny a player as he is good. And I thought that that was a nice touch on what has been a very serious and COVID-infused NFL season. Uh, that's it for the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show. We brought the news. We brought our takeaways. Ron Kopp did a fantastic job. Uh, you now know our questions heading into Vegas and Kansas City on Sunday Night Football. Keep locked in at the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network as we will have the Arrowhead Pride Laboratory joining you on Wednesday. I know that they're very excited about this live feed they're doing with former Chiefs reporter and current Let It Fly Media BJ Kissel this Sunday so that, that's exciting as well we are going to keep you updated on everything Chiefs Raiders at ArrowheadPride.com for Deputy Editor John Dixon my name is Pete Sweeney thank you for joining us on the Arrowhead Pride Editors Show